You're listening to the Metaverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 61. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Metaverse Podcast. I am your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we talk about building successful and profitable game businesses. Today, our best special guests are Darcy and Daniel Leach. They're the soon-to-be proprietors of MindSculpt Games in Great Bend, Kansas. Darcy's been buying and selling magic cards online since she was 13 years old, and she's parlaying that into opening up a friendly local game store with her husband, Daniel. We're going to talk about the process of opening a brand new game store, the challenges, the opportunities, as well as what they've been doing to build their community before their doors even open. Darcy, Daniel, thanks for taking the time and coming on the podcast to have a chat with us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. The Maniverse is well known. Ooh, fantastic. So how are you guys doing today? You excited? We've been in, uh, enjoying getting ready, and, and we got a lot of things still coming up, but we're excited for June to get here. Cool. Are you counting down the days? Yes, with a big to-do list right next to the day count. Fantastic. Checking them off as you go along, right? Trying. Awesome. So let's start at the beginning. That seems like a good place to go. Well, who wants to go first? I guess that's a good question, too. Well, I'll tell you about my first Magic the Gathering pre-release. My dad took me to the Urza's Legacy pre-release when I was 12. And that was the first set with foils. Mm -hmm. And I came home with a foil rare from my prize packs. They had a 13 and under division and I won some packs. But I, uh, I put my Beast of Burden foil on eBay the night of the pre-release as soon as I got home. And that sucker made me $10. And as a 12-year-old, I was hooked from there. Uh, <laughs> but I sold my foil Blizzard Elemental. and then. I've just kind of, I'm a girl anyway, so I like the shiny things, but I specialized in <laughs> foils. And uh, when Daniel and I met, we both played cards and he'll tell you a little bit about his background too. Uh, but the cool thing, fiscally conservative as I am, uh, when we got married, the way we uh, made the down payment on our first house was we sold our magic collection on 300 different auctions on eBay and made a down payment on a home. So from there, we were hooked on the the financial stability and income potential of card games in the gaming hobby. Wow. So you've been an eBay power seller for a long time. Yeah. Until I found TCG pro and how easy that is. Cool. So how about you, Daniel? Well, uh, magic is how we met. Uh, but you know, I've played board games with my family, uh, since I was a little kid. And so, you know, started out with monopoly and risk with my dad and my dad beat on me and, uh, <laughs> you know, it, but, you know, I grew so much in uh, problem solving and uh, critical thinking and thinking ahead uh, through games. And as even a young adult and into, you know, our 30s now, uh, we really enjoy the uh, mental stimulus and challenge that games provide. So uh, board games, card games uh, are definitely good social ways to uh, encourage learning for kids and adults alike. Cool, cool. So that's basically the uh, the impetus for opening up this uh, this future game store that you've got in mind. Well, I mean, we've dabbled in online sales for a while, but we really decided to scale up since November. Um, and we love to play, and we want to build our community with gaming. But what really decided for us that we'd get a brick and mortar physical store is that online sales were good enough to. Uh, pay for a year of rent and utilities. And that's when we signed the lease. So we've, we've got the ground under our feet a little bit. And that makes, that makes me feel safer as a mom starting a business. That's definitely a good place to start it rather than, you know, potentially over leveraging yourself and taking it alone and that kind of thing. If you've got, uh, you've got your expenses covered for the first year, you're already at a really good spot. We're yeah. open. So. <laughs> so for sure. So Let's talk about this, uh, the startup process. How long have you been working towards building a game store? Well, we moved to the town we live in, which is Great Bend, Kansas, about two years ago. And we were pretty constant Friday Night Magic participants, or Daniel had a Dungeons and Dragons group that would meet and play board games and such. Uh, and when we moved here, we didn't have that. So it's, it's a pretty organic need that we want to fill is we're gamers. That's how we built our relationship. That's what we use in our family to build relationships. And there's not really a place here. I mean, you can go to the library and play Thursday magic for a couple hours and occasionally a board game night, but we want a place where people can feel part of a community where they can walk in and be accepted and where they can play board games to build their brains and challenge themselves with 
magic sets every three months. I mean, it, it, it's a great way to build our community and we want it. So it feels pretty natural. Okay. So when did you begin planning for this? Well, probably close to about eight, nine months ago, we started thinking about it uh, seriously. You know, we've uh, we've kicked around the idea for years of having a, a store at some point, uh, but we, it wasn't ever really serious uh, until probably nine months ago. Uh, and uh, that was when Darcy started talking with uh, a small business uh, oh, startup advisor that was at Fort Hayes State University uh and she wrote a business plan uh and you know I talked with her about it but it's really on her that she uh started the ball rolling I talked more about philosophy and what we would want to do with it than uh the nuts and bolts of it so mm. Yeah so I guess we've been doing research and talking with uh small business associations probably since around November um and starting the paperwork process. And really the, the, the rock that started the avalanche though, was when we um, made it into TCG direct and our sales upticked so much. And then we were looking at uh, the feasibility of what we were doing. So I'd say this has been a dream since we got married to do this. Um, and it became less of a pipe dream and more of a reality when we moved into a community hadn't had a card store in a couple of years, but had a player base and uh, our confidence grew as we were selling online. Uh, we actually registered as an LLC earlier on in our sales, um, but then we signed our lease just a month ago. Mm -hmm. um, once we were confident that what we were doing was sustainable. Again, a, a good place to be. You want to kind of have that research to back up your decision before you make the decision. So uh, you mentioned that you had a player base already kind of established, but there's no real, uh, no location to serve the player base. How did you know that there were players within your city? Facebook. Uh, as soon as we got here, we looked up Great Ben Magic on Facebook and there were some events at the library um, starting to hang out with some people, talk to some people. The truth is, if you're going to talk about players and relationships, it's really got to be organic and you got to meet the people and then meet the people who know the people. And that's how you find out who's really in your town that plays. The other thing, uh, the, there's only two places in town that have any kind of uh, board games and card games, uh, two big box stores. And, uh, you know, we, we would walk by when we're getting ready to check out with normal things and, uh, uh, if it was near a release date, they were out of the new stuff. Uh, so that, that, that told us, well, there's people here uh, mm -hmm. that are playing. Uh, and, you know, we went to uh, the library Thursday night pretty early on. And when we were here just to meet people uh, and see what was going on. And then, you know, you talk to other, we're both teachers. You talk to other teachers and find out, Hey, there's teachers around here that like to play and have kids that, they buy board games for and things like that. So uh, it really has been just kind of share our passion and hear other people talk about it too. We definitely staked out the Walmart a couple of times as soon as the packs would be out and watched how quickly they would go. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to measure, measure demand when there's no, no existing store to kind of count it from. Yeah. And there's local stores that you can drive an hour to and kind of see the pulse there. Um, how much people drive for an FNM is a little up in the air, but we know there's players. We've talked to the players uh, and we're just going to use them to organically build some, some hype about what we're doing and hope that we get more players each week. Okay. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that a little bit. So what is your strategy right now for, uh, for building this community? Like you, I've seen some of the videos that you've had on your Facebook page. I've, I've enjoyed them. I think it's pretty cool. So let's talk about that. Okay, so um, initially, uh, we've uh, tried to friend everybody in the area that's uh, on Facebook uh, that has the same interests, uh, and uh, most of them we knew uh, in person at that point, uh, but some of them I haven't met personally yet, uh, and then we have, you know, said to them, all right, if you guys are um, early helpers you know early subscribers or early likers things like that will will pat you on the back with uh, uh a card that will give them special deals in store once we're open 
Uh, and so that's trying to create, uh, you know, the, the most hardcore gamers are going to uh, hopefully find out from their friends that we haven't, you know, that we have met. Uh, and uh, then buzz word of mouth and online will hopefully uh, keep snowballing it. So my cool. background before this um, last April, I published a book about my family and myotonic dystrophy called from my mother. And with that, I did a lot of social media marketing and my day job, I'm an instructional technology coach and I run the social media for the school that I work in um, and help a little bit with the district. And we're in a small town of 15,000. So we don't have like a local news channel, but we have a lot of people that are interested in what local people are doing. So we're bringing that to them. We're, we're making Facebook live videos about the day we signed our lease. Uh, we're planning to make a video a week as we go into our opening that talk about the type of content and material that we'll have. We're doing board game reviews tomorrow, actually, that we'll put up on Facebook live. Um, and what we really want to do is we want to give something interesting that not only reveals our product, but reveals us. So we're building relationships as we're telling people about our store. So when people walk in on day one, they know MindSculpt Games and they feel connected to us and they want to support a local small business with some grassroots. And when we do that online, we, uh, we do have friends in the gamer community already. And that early support program, if we can build engagement on our Facebook with likes and shares and comments, it goes higher in the feed so more people see it. And we don't want to seem spammy. Uh, we don't want to email people a bunch of emails. But if your friend shares a video and you've played games with that friend, you're connected to that friend because you you want to share experiences with them. And MindSculpt Games is really going to be about sharing experiences, which is also the same market that Facebook and Twitter are in there and sharing experiences. So we're just hooking up with that. People want to see video. They want to know about locals. They want to watch a, a local business grow from the ground up. And we're providing that opportunity and hoping they walk in our door. Fantastic. That's a, that's a great strategy, especially for a local game store. Like, I'm sure this would be a great way to start pretty much any retail location uh, these days. But like we were saying before we got on the call here, that a game store is its community. Like it's, it's pretty much, you know, you don't just have customers. You have people that you know and people that know you. And uh, what you're doing to build up that know, like, and trust prior to even opening your doors is a, a great way to, to build the hype train to get that going. Yeah. And the reason a local game store is a better place to buy a game than Amazon or Walmart is because you're going to have people that can support your ability to play the game, that can make good recommendations, maybe even have demos on the walls. And if we can show people that by putting a video in their pocket with Facebook Live or something that goes up on YouTube, then they can realize board games aren't just boxes with things in them, but their family experiences with people to help support you get there. Mm -hmm. And maybe it'll also convey the value of the local game store while you're at it. Like, cause that's something that kind of gets lost in this age of Amazon and easy access to the internet that uh, the face-to-face -face interactions aren't as important to a lot of people. And the, the local game stores that, uh, that I've talked to, at least the, the owners, they've all kind of got the same sort of uh, sticky perspective that like people want the cheapest games, they want easy access, but they don't necessarily want to support the, the brick and mortar stores as much because they don't realize what you're actually getting out of it. Yeah. And that's always going to be a battle because people are frugal. Um, mm. We're going to try to be really competitive with our prices, but what we're going to try to do more than anything is provide a service of value to our community. MindSculpt Games is going to host ACT tutoring to help students save thousands of dollars on college scholarships. And we're going to try to pair uh, with our local school district for math enrichment nights. Uh, we're going to look into pairing with churches for family game nights. What we really want to do is we want to have a brick and mortar store. We want to make money, but we want to make our community better in a way that provides them a service of value. So they come in and see our value and make transactions. I like it. I like it. Okay. So let's, uh, let's talk about product mix a little bit. So how did you settle on the, the product lines that you're going to open up with? Like, yeah, we've talked about magic. That's obviously, that's a that's a given for pretty much every local game store. You can't ignore the, uh, the gigantic 600 pound gorilla that is magic, but what else are you going for? Well, we got to get those magic cards out of our basement, but <laughs> with our background, uh, board games are going to be a really big deal. 
Uh, and that's also for the general consumer. Like when people walk into MindSculpt games, they're going to see some specialty puzzles. Uh, they're going to see 200 different board games within the first 15 to 20 feet of the store. Uh, we're going to try to have a miniatures line and paint. Uh, we're actually going to have some commission uh, art and jewelry pieces because we don't want to appeal just to gamers. We're in a, too small of a town to just get the hardcore people. But with our product line, we really want to diversify. Uh, if you have $5,000 of board games, you're probably selling that uh, over the course of a year and not making much. But between board games, role-playing games, card games, miniatures, paints, accessories, um, community-enhancing items, we're even going to have ACT books on our shelves. When you say settled on inventory, that's going to be something we change every week. Like we're going to make new orders based on customer demand and what we actually have and what people want. Um, we're stabbing in the dark in the direction of diversity and um, things that'll appeal to the moms and to the families to get people in the store. The magic players are going to find us because they already know us. Mm -hmm. but we want to be able to pair with our local cinema and when Star Wars comes out, sit with a table in front of them and uh, sell products that people that have never played Settlers of Catan might be interested in and then next week come play Settlers of Catan. I like it. I like it. And yeah, obviously that's, that's uh, the situation that every game store owner has to consider before they open their doors that you don't know for sure, for sure, what products are going to sell, but you kind of have to throw some spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks and then refine as you go along. So we, we haven't played like every game we've ordered or anything, but we <laughs> have a lot, of games. a lot of experience uh, in playing all sorts of different board games as well. Uh, one of the things, you know, we're probably magic nerds to a lot of our friends, but those same friends play board games with us and enjoy it. So, uh, you know, not everybody's going to be that card game player or not everybody's going to be that Marvel game player or whatever else. So we're going to want to have a diversity to, uh, you know, make sure that we fit everybody. Yeah, our business strategy really, uh, we have our initial orders and we have like secondary market materials like our singles, but we've allocated uh, the liquid capital to order about $400 a week for the first six months uh, so that we can make sure we're responsive in our inventory. We're not all putting it in at the beginning before we meet and know our customers fully. We're planning to make an order a week. Uh, Darcy also sent out a um, oh, that's true. A form uh, that I, I think we'll we'll continue to try and uh, spread out to all sorts of people as they engage to us. But it it's basically a a Google form that you can fill out, kind of what what genre of game uh, you have experience with, or what you might be interested in. Uh, and so that's given us a little bit of metrics on. Um, what people's interests are. Uh, yeah, I was actually going to ask that as I saw that on your Facebook page as well. So you sent out a Google survey to people that are presumably friends or friended with you on Facebook, right? Well, it's, it's available to anybody in the public, but by sending it through our MindSculpt Games Facebook page and then our personal pages, mm -hmm. it has quite a few shares from people that would be our gaming friends or people very interested in the in industry. But when they share it on their page, then people we don't know that live in our radius are also finding it um, and their close friends might game with them. So the Google Forms actually been really good in helping us um, feel confident in the direction of our inventory because of the responses we get, the people they're sharing it with. Um, it's, it's pretty good metrics and it's instant metrics. Um, so... That Google form is a pretty good idea. We don't have a huge sample size. It's not like we have 300 people that have replied, but we know there's a couple lines or brands we can support early. And that's, that's what I was going to ask is what, like what kind of results have you been getting from it? And uh, it's, it's good to know that something as simple as like a very basic survey that you can, that anyone can put up. The Google surveys are very easy to make and just getting that out there. You'll get some very valuable information. People, especially hobbyists are very happy to tell other people about their hobby. Yeah. We have a line that says other where people can request specific games. So we are ordering pandemic call of Cthulhu because somebody specifically requested that. Um, I don't know if it'll sell that fast, but we can meet the desires of our customers by they're kind of pre-ordering or at least telling us what to stock. Um, I think that works well. 
And another thing I think we did well on that Google form from the tech coach perspective is we put visuals in it so people could mm. see what the game looks like. Because if you just say uh, tile building games, there's a whole bunch of people out there that have no idea what that is. We also had the option, um, if people weren't as familiar, um, we just put in an option on our board game list that says, I don't really know these games yet, but I'd love to walk in a store that shows me 200 board games I've never seen. So they can indicate interest without having necessarily an expertise in the field. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. And I'll be sure to include a link to the survey as part of the show. To, so anyone who wants to throw in their two cents, if you're living in the area and you want to know what, uh, what Mindscalp's games may or may not look like in the near future, it's, uh, it's going to be included. Yeah, and if other entrepreneurs want to make a copy of that, uh, mm-hmm. don't mind helping other businesses. We've had an awful lot of help from people in the industry uh, that have helped us get started in ways that are intelligent. Anyone you want to shout out? Well, there's a Facebook group called the Online Game Stores that has been particularly um, useful there. And I don't know if I want to throw out specific names because I don't know how much they would want me to say that that we've been sharing information, uh, but there's a lot of well-established game stores that have so much passion for what they're doing that if, if we go out and we talk a little bit about what we do on TCG Direct and our sorting system, so we give a little bit of free information out and then they kind of scratch our back too and they have a lot more retail experience. So there's just a, if you're willing to, to share and be open, I think there's a lot of people out there that don't mind uh, letting you stand on their shoulders a bit as you get started in a small town, a couple hundred miles away from them. Yeah. And I, I'd say, you know, the, the guy I'm thinking of as she talks about this, uh, he probably wouldn't, wouldn't be online to hear this anyways, but he, you know, he's part of the reason we met and uh, I'd say personally cares about us and how we do. And he's been very supportive throughout uh, any questions that we have and all that. So there is one guy I want to mention specifically. Uh, Carter Hatfield is a guy that I've known for years and I used to just sell him cards as the typical backpacker selling to a store. And he recently upscaled his business and bought out a card store and has just been talking, but it's, it's a long-term relationship. Like Carter and I have talked about, um, the market and the industry for a long time, but he's really helped me take these next couple steps. Um, even by getting me into those closed Facebook groups that where people will share information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, uh, I would have to agree. Pretty much everybody who's been on the show is of the. Uh, I'm going to share my knowledge and help people out mindset, and it's yeah. There's a lot of passionate people in this industry who are more than happy to help somebody who's trying to get in, as long as they're not opening a shop next door. That's yeah. that's usually the kind of the basic criteria. As long as you're not, yeah, trying to directly compete and undercut. Oh, you know, it's fair game. Everyone's welcome. There is a card shop about two hours away. They got a little prickly when we started asking questions. But it, two it's hours? Fair. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're rural in, Kansas. Yeah, we're in rural Kansas. So, you know, two hours means the uh, uh, close to the next large town. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> no, that, but that's like, I, that's interesting to me because like the city that I live in, Kitchener, is uh, if somebody opened up like three blocks away, that was fine. There are so many like game stores in this small, tiny, dense area, considering the population here, that for somebody to be like, oh, you're two hours away, that's a little bit too close is, is pretty amusing. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's definitely no cookie cutter solution to how your game store fits your community. I know, for sure. Every community is different, especially it sounds like. Uh, the population that you're going for, you do have to start somewhat broad, right? Because at 15,000, that I wouldn't imagine there's a really large magic community that could support a single store. You'd probably have to reach out to everything else. Yeah. Um, if you look at our 15 to 20 mile radius, we are a little bit of a, a commuter town in terms that smaller towns will drive to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, our population numbers are low, especially if you looked for certain demographics. So we are, we're going to have to seem like um, approachable people. That's why Facebook marketing is going to be so important to us is we want to build relationships in the community, even if people don't directly know us. So they feel like they know us. Um, So there's this level of transparency that we want to have, this level of support we want to have with our community. But we do, um, as a female business owner, mom, I definitely 
want to help moms have face-to-face experiences with their children and have family gatherings where people just aren't on their phone on the couch, but maybe gathered around the table with the board game. Um, and I think there's a lot of movement for that. People really enjoy family interactions and um, grinding it out on Magic Online. That's cool, but there, there's a broader market. And they say it's the golden era of board games because there's so much development and psychology and sociology going into the current board games and how much more interactive they are and how they're quicker. And even just the, the marketing on a box shows you the suggested time you can kind of plan around it for a family because a family could go to a movie or two or they could buy a board game they can play five or six times together and build their reading skills, their their math skills, and their family relationships. So do we want to appeal to a broader audience? Absolutely. In the digital era of cell phone isolation, families need board games and cards. Um, gaming is one of the ways to build family relationships and any town can use that. Absolutely. and. Uh... Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with the fact that I feel there's a, a a rebound coming now that we've gone into this digital age. And like you said, cell phones have kind of isolated us. That's just the way we, uh, we've gone, the direction we've gone in the last tens, 10 or so years. But now there's this pullback to go back to what worked before, which was face-to-face interactions. There's, and there's nothing quite like sitting across from somebody and playing a board game with them compared to a video game or, you know, sitting on the couch with your cell phone. Right. And it doesn't work um, in uh, like every board game doesn't work in every family, you know, the, the size of your family, the age of your family and so on and so forth is going to decide what you can do. Uh, but, you know, it, it's amazing to see uh, the kids grow uh, and, and how positive the reactions can be uh, within a family when you're sitting around and just having fun and with something that everybody can enjoy and, and board games provide that opportunity. You know, there's so many times that uh, parents have to feel like, Oh, I have to get after my kid about this and I have to make sure that they get this done and all that. And that can turn into uh, a lot of negative to positive relationship uh, ratio and board games can just be almost completely positive. Uh, so it's one of those things that, uh, I know my family growing up uh, has done, we did it almost every major holiday that wasn't uh, like Christmas or Easter even, you know, uh, just because it was a way that we could have good family fun together. New Year's Eve, you know, we'd stay up late playing board games instead of, uh, you know, maybe uh, the adults finding a um, <laughs> a babysitter and uh, then going out, you know. so. There's options for people that are looking for wholesome family fun. We're not counterculture by any means. I mean, I work in the public schools uh, with Chromebooks and each student has a device. And there's definitely a place for technology. I love technology. But I also know that our students, when they're working on computers all day and then going home and playing on them, there is a yearning for those face-to-face interactions. And that's going to continue to grow in our culture. The more that we do in our daily lives, like education, that's on devices, the more we're going to want those real relationships. And games provide an easy way to build that because there's a set of rules, there's a structure, and we're going to make the place to play so people can show up and build relationships. Yeah. And no matter how graphically intense and awesome a computer game can be, it can't replace the analog experience of a board game. And well, can't even replace, for example, just as a side note and a tangent, have you ever tried playing Settlers of Catan? As a video game? Yes. yes. It's awful. It's a terrible game. The fine art of negotiation is lost. Yep. Yeah, that's the whole, that's the game. Like the board, the tiles, everything else that's happening, that's kind of uh, the structure, but <clears throat> excuse me, the game is the interaction between the people and the subtle, you know, like the, uh, the negotiation, the, the bluffing and the cajoling and like all of that, that's just, it goes out the window on a computer. It's not the same. I'll tell you about um, five years ago, uh, I was pretty serious into Magic the Gathering and was going to bigger tournaments and stuff. And um, the there were a lot of people that I would you know meet at these bigger tournaments that played on Magic Online all the time. And you see those pros online that do their videos and everything, and they're constantly playing on Ma- Magic Online. Well, you know that's all good and well, but for them, I guess. But uh, 
I think that that the big thing uh, playing magic is is in person, you know, and for me, it never really worked. I tried magic online once or twice and I thought, you know what, the the game isn't the same. So right along with you. Yeah, no, that's exactly how I felt too. I didn't mention Magic Online, but I've had pretty much the same experience. Like I, I identify as a Magic player myself. That's how I got started. That's what I'm interested in. That's my identity, which is kind of mm-hmm. odd, I suppose. But that's my thing. And like, I like playing the game, but I so much prefer playing face to face with real cards, with sleeves, and you know, tables and people in front of me. That's so much better than the experience of sitting in front of a monitor and playing the exact same game functionally, but just without all the interaction. Mm-hmm. There's nothing quite like going to a game store and playing a draft with people that you, you know, you become friends with. That never happens online. Yeah. It's, it's the same it's kind thing. Of the glue, uh, the, the conversations you have in between matches or while you're warming up or, you know, the, you know, the shuffling, whatever else, right. That, that, connects people and they see each other every week or every other week or once a month and uh they start to care about each other and recognize you know this is about all of us not just about uh you know me coming to enjoy a game Mm -hmm. and that experience will never be replaced by amazon or by walmart selling board games or all those big box stores you talked about earlier Mm -hmm. that never that will never happen without the friendly local game store that doesn't exist very much so, which is an important reason why you got to support your local game store because uh, damn right <laughs> they're they're providing the you know they're paying the rent or or they're owning the owning the place and they're paying for the uh, electricity and everything like that for you to be able to come in and uh, have a place. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's skip back into this line of conversation we've got going on. So. We talked about online sales a little bit. How did that? How is that going to fit into the brick and mortar of your business? Well, that's the uh, the bones of what we're building around. So we're still going to run our online sales. We're going to have fifteen to twenty thousand cards that are listed daily. Um, we're still trying to figure out if we're going to have that sync to our physical sales or not. But uh, we are making sure we can pay the bills by our buy list, by our collection buying, by what we can get. Uh, from players who open packs, that is what makes it so we can pay the rent to allow people to play a place. So um, I'm really glad that we didn't start our business before we started our online scales, sales in such a scaled manner, because um, the first couple of weeks we were TCG Direct, we got hammered on the condition of what we sent in and we had to pause our inventory, regrade make sure we were running a high enough efficiency on light play before we added moderate play. Uh, And there's a lot of learning curve. There is a ton of learning curve. Um, Running TCG direct is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in terms of learning how to do it right to where it's worth it, where it's efficient, where the, the wheels are greased enough. So when we move into our store, we're going to make sure it's very protected behind the counter, not where people can flip through it and mess up our system. Because as a, as a female game store owner, that system is my life. <laughs> um, but we've, we've taken the bumps and the bruises and the learning over the last couple of months. And now we do have a system that can grind out the money. Uh, we can sell cards down to a 30 cent margin. Um, and nor- if you set cards in a case, nobody's buying a 30 cent card, but being online, we have, we sell internationally. So we have so many customers that can find our stuff that we can open to customers to build a local consumer base. So, um, the logistics of where we put it and how we work it, um, will be very important in our layout, but we have three of us that have had daily practice for months before we move it into the physical store. My dad's actually the one that runs TCG Direct, and you will be impressed with how much he has learned. He is uh, an ambitious guy who wants to get things right and doesn't really play magic, but he is a stud at listing inventory for us. And interestingly, backstory there, uh, Darcy's dream of, of a card store probably more came from her dad when he was collecting baseball cards. So, I mean, the, you know, card stores have evolved a lot since then. But he he's kind of living out his dream with helping us too, and he'll be working in the store too. Uh, and the other thing I think uh, 
I've seen a lot of stores in my playing uh, career with with Magic, particularly that they either have uh, a lot of stock that sits, uh, and they've got a lot of cash just sitting there not selling, uh, or they have um, no stock at all, or or you know you, if you want something you can't really go to them, and that that's part of the reason that the online sales uh, have been something big for a lot of stores too is that. Uh, a lot of stores don't have what you want. Uh, so we're going to try and uh, keep the balance between those two things. We want to be a place where people can come in and ask for a card uh, and they're likely going to be able to find it. But also we don't want to have uh, so much sitting in the shelves that aren't available online that we can't be uh, flexible in what we have, is, especially with our board games and everything else that would go into our business. Yeah, when mm-hmm. we go into day one, we have about three to four different flex plans on what we do with our singles. Uh, we're going to have a box of rares that people can browse through that aren't inventoried. Uh, we have some high dollar cards that we have chosen not to sell online to draw in our customers, like um, reserve list cards and dual lands. Uh, we've actually been saving pretty much any land that could go into a commander deck. It doesn't go on our TCG list because we want to fuel our player base. There's a balance between making daily money with international sales and building your customer base where you're at. And we don't exactly know where that line is, um, but there's things like Crystal Commerce or TCG Pro, and we're going to take one of those directions someday so that our inventory is synced. But what we don't want to do is lose efficiency uh, or let let cards sit until they're reprinted and we lose value. We've got to be flexible. We've got to be agile and quick on the market. But we also have to be able to provide our players uh, the meat and potatoes they need to build decks and grow interest. So our online sales are important. Our cases are absolutely important. And we want to be able to get our players the cards they want in the most efficient way that doesn't just eat our margins, but actually provides a service of value to us and our customers in ease of access to our inventory. Awesome. So are you basically treating the two sides of the business as like separate businesses right now? Since like you said, the inventory is not going to be synced. Well, you know what? I think in two weeks we're syncing our inventory, but before I give off 2.5% of my total sales, I'm selling as much as I can because when we sync, we actually want a physical store. So we're going to be synced on day one, but we're trying to eke out that last bit of money before we're fully synced. It's it's weird. Now, before we uh, signed our lease, we went on a a tour of local card shops, whether it was through uh, Google Maps, where you can view everything in their store or physically visiting them. Mm -hmm. And we'd ask questions like, can we browse your inventory? And some of the answers were no. You can look on the computer through our website and see if we have the card in stock, but you can't touch our singles inventory. And buying mm-hmm. is a very tactile experience. So we want people to be able to touch our cards and browse through them. Do we want to put every rare under a dollar on our online inventory? Um, the man hours of that might not be efficient. So will we have a browse box that's not synced to our inventory? Probably. Will we have cards available only in our store for our loyal customers? Absolutely. Uh, will we let our customers get to our online inventory? Yes, but we're going to make sure we do that as efficiently as possible. And we'll want to drive our local customers to our website uh, for when they're not around to be able to come in. Or, you know, uh, that's that's an important thing. But uh, the physical part of the store is going to matter to them and, and it's going to matter to the loyalty to us, too. So we definitely want to treat our customers right and have what they need available. We have a lot to learn in the next couple of months. <laughs> For sure. There's always a learning curve at the beginning. A couple other questions that I want to ask while we're on the subject. So how do you compete? Right now you're you're selling on or you're selling online and a lot of game store owners are they have concerns when it comes to selling online because then you are competing with every other online seller. So if somebody another game store owner said well why bother why would you sell online because it's a race to the bottom price competition all that other stuff what would you say well there might be inventory that we eventually decide is better sitting in our card store as kind of like a fixture uh as the enticement for the buyer to walk in for the customer to feel like they have a supported shop but what they say about the secondary market is you make your money when you make the purchase Uh, And a lot of what we do, we don't try to shark people by any means, but we buy collections as a whole most of the time. 
Uh, and when we get to specific prices on a buy list, we'll have to learn a lot there. Um, but a lot of times we get a Facebook message because we've been in the community a long time and people know we're local buyers and there's not a lot of local buyers. Um, but we get a message that, Hey, would you like to buy my collection? I, I need some money to make it through the month and we can offer them that. Uh, so if it's a race to the bottom, that might be fine. But if you're agile and competitive in the market, um, you're pricing accordingly. You don't buy cards to sit them in a rack and price them uncompetitively. Mm -hmm. I think the only cards you can do that with are reserve list cards because the way that uh, Magic the Gathering has reprinted things, it, they've created a race to the bottom with your inventory, whether you're uh, selling online or not. I think if you have a growth model, you sell online. If you want to grow, you use the internet. That's what I would say too. But I've heard that opinion expressed. So I was just curious how you would... Uh handle that we're not okay. going in pretending we can ignore the internet age and amazon we're going in trying to competitively price where we're at and uh, be pretty smart on acquisitions mm -hmm. awesome any tips for somebody who wants to get into online sales like if they've got an existing store and they're like what do i got to do to start selling online uh, i would start um and things you, uh, start with things you know uh, as far as product, uh, and get your feet wet, uh, in ways that won't cost you a ton, except in time. Uh, your time is where your big cost is going to be in learning things. And then make sure that you don't lose too much in money, trying to learn your mistakes, learn from your mistakes and, um, trial and error. Uh, talk to people that have done it before, sure, but uh, it's going to be dependent on what your philosophy is and, and what you want it to do for you. I have some honest advice. Most of the selling I did on a small scale, I did as a kid, and I didn't have to worry about my dollar per hour rate. There's actually a phase in my life where I stopped selling because the dollar per hour rate was less than I could get doing like ACT tutoring or other work. So my real advice is, unless you're really able to invest a good amount of capital and buy a $5,000 collection, uh, be careful about getting into online sales because it's pretty possible if you're small scale, you're working for minimum wage or under. If you really want to make it, you better know the industry first. You better have dabbled for a long time. And then you got to commit with multiple thousands of dollars to really make it worth what you're doing. It's, it's kind of like, I mean, if you, you mentioned uh, Amazon and, and Walmart. Uh, it, when they do their quarterly uh, and year-end profit reports to their stockholders, mm -hmm. they're not making huge percentages. They're making huge dollars, though, because they're their volume. Uh, they're on scale. Yeah, it's the scale, the volume in which they're selling, and uh, that's how. Honestly, I think that's how stars. You know, there's there's online stores that do the same thing. Is what I would say. Yeah. And that's, I think, like, again, the competition is kind of what people think of. They think of SEG, they think of Channel Fireball, that kind of stuff. Those people who, the names that are already kind of well known and just that puts fear into their hearts as to like, how am I going to beat these people? Right. Right. Well, I guess that's another good question. So like, why do customers come to you instead of those places? Price point. Mm -hmm. That's probably it. Price point and a critical mass of inventory. Like, mm -hmm. You make more sales when you have more cards available. So if you're not beating them on prices, you got to beat them on selection. And I don't know if anybody's beating Star City Games on selection, but you got to be on the market as often as possible, not taking days off. You got to have a consistent inventory, interesting inventory, um, often looking to add those chase cards, those higher dollar cards so that you're because if somebody buys a $10 card, they can tack on a 50 cent card without paying shipping. That makes your other inventory more movable, more scalable. So to compete, you first got price point and you got to be willing to play in that ballpark. But then you also have to have the critical mass of inventory and looking to acquire and add new inventory constantly to move what you already have listed. Awesome. Good advice. Okay. So let's do something a little more, a little more philosophical and a little less technical. Yeah. So this is a question that I ask virtually everybody on the podcast. And I like asking this question because I get a different answer every time because everyone's answer is, uh, it's very personal. 
So what does uh, success look like to you, each of you? What is success in MindSculpt games? What does that look like? Uh, well, uh, you know, honestly, uh, the big pull for me to uh, do all this work uh, it has been a community that is uh, thriving. Lots of people uh, that are enjoying themselves uh, and uh, lots of kids um, growing up with games and growing up uh, smarter socially, growing up uh, able to think critically and think ahead and uh, explore options without having to go out and uh, do something that would be risky. Uh, and uh, math and reading skill are definitely part of that. And I think uh, part of it for us is we know that uh, our children are going to grow up with more skills uh, if our business is successful, uh, because they're going to be learning how to do all sorts of things through the card store. Yeah, honestly, for me, I'm uh, chasing a dream I had with my daddy chasing a dream I had with my husband even before we got married and success is going to be the day that I know my son can run an Excel sheet to calculate total profit based on income and expenses <laughs> where he can look at uh, the market value of something and think of the cost basis analysis. It's a little greedy as a mom, but Success for me is going to be when my family is enriched by the business, not just with the dollar signs, but the skill acquisition in the community. Yeah, that sounds like success to me, too. I guess that's uh, probably one of the closest definitions to my own version that I've heard so far. So I like that one. Are you a parent? But I like Daniel's, too. That was good. Cool. So another side note, a little bit more of a personal question. Why did you own a business together? Like, you both, uh, both are teachers. Like, why not... Why do you continue on with your day job? Why do you want to do this like as a couple? Well, we're keeping our day jobs. But the truth is, after you've had summer vacation since kindergarten, after a while, you want something meaningful to do over your summers. <laughs> truthfully, with both of us being educators, sometimes we sit on the couch and drive each other nuts over summer. Now, there's a lot of love over summer, but we don't work over summer. And being able to pour 60 hours a week, both of us, into the first two months of our card shop, that's beautiful. Uh, it allows us to monetize our summer in a way that uses our skill set and our passion and builds our family and community. And it just sounds like a win all the way around. We just got to find a good manager or figure out our schedule for the school year. <laughs> yeah. So we have a couple of uh, passionate family members that have been in gaming for a while too. So that they're going to be helping us out during the school year. Uh, and we're going to, uh, you know, kind of pick days that I'm there or you're there, you know? So um, why together outside of that? Um, I think that we each bring uh, different goals and different strengths to the business. Uh, and uh, I, honestly, I don't know of, uh, know of somebody that's a go-getter more than my wife that I've met in my life. So uh, to go with her would be better than anybody else I could think of. Yeah, my uh, morning alarm right now is by the chain smokers. We go down together because we're in this together completely and we're going to figure <laughs> it out or we're going to go down together. Uh, but nerdy fact, my husband and I doesn't always let me tell the public this, but we met at a Magic the Gathering tournament where I took second place and he watched. I, uh, yeah, that was actually <laughs> somewhat earlier in my uh, playing career. Uh, and as far as not board games, but, uh, magic. And, uh, I would, I think I was trying to find a Chrome box for a tournament that I was going to be playing in, um, uh, a couple of weeks from then. And I was at the cash register buying it and, uh, Darcy came and introduced herself and we, we figured out how alike we were. So after I got <laughs> his number before he left, I said, Maybe it's fate. And here we are today, <laughs> ready to open a card shop together. Uh, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good beating star. <laughs> Maybe it is fate. Card shop romance. <laughs> Maybe somebody will find that at MindSculpt Games too. Sounds like a YouTube series to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be a YouTuber. Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting is, you know, I don't, I doubt, I don't know about Darcy, but I never went to a card store uh, expecting to find the opposite sex. So 
uh, I, I went uh, usually to buy, and once I found people playing there, I started playing there. But uh, I actually had a, a group of friends that I had taught how to play uh, in my small town uh, because I'd learned how to play from friends uh, while I was in the military. So it was it was kind of different. I never dated a guy who didn't play magic. <laughs> so I guess you have a type then. Uh, Daniel fits it. He's my small mate. Very cool. Very cool. Closing thoughts. You haven't opened your doors yet. You know, st- still in the startup phase. We don't know what the future will hold, but do you have a big, hairy, audacious goal? Do you have like a powerful vision for the store for the next three, five, ten years, a hundred years? We have a pretty comprehensive business plan, but I'll break it down for you. First, we want to maximize our floor space and make sure every dollar of rent is well spent with good product placement and purposeful inventory selection. Once we have that done, we're going to consider expanding. We're in a, like a 13 to 1400 square foot place. Uh, and we hope to be one day in a 2000 square foot place. Uh, dream goal, reach goal is that we would have a game cafe with a sandwich shop, maybe some coffee. Um, and if we get real ambitious and successful, there's more towns in Kansas that could use MindSculpt games. Ooh. But we have to make sure that's efficient. <laughs> yeah, start with one, master that, then start franchising out, spreading, spreading the tentacles. Yeah, I'll, I'll serve some sandwiches before I buy another location. Sounds good. Let's uh, tell the listeners where they can find you. So we have a MindSculpt Games Facebook page. We're on Twitter, MindSculptGames.com. If you went right now, it's a GoDaddy site. But we got two, three weeks to get that rolling, uh, and we'll be ready. So MindSculpt Games, if you're a Magic fan, it's like Jace the Mind Sculptor, but it's M-I-N-D, Sculpt, S-C-U-L-P-T, Games, G-A-M-E-S.com. And MindSculpt Games is where games build brains. So come see us and see what we got. And if you're local, we're on Main Street across from the courthouse, 1401 Main. Awesome. The center of America. (laughs) (laughs) Right in the middle. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on the Manverse podcast. I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, we're hoping to find some Reddit support and uh, organic game store growth from people that want to help the industry grow in rural Kansas. Yeah, let's do it. All right. I want to thank Darcy and Daniel one more time for coming on the podcast and sharing their story with us. Be sure to head over to their Facebook page and show some support for their new store. If you like this interview, you can find more podcasts and content just like it over at manaversaga.com. You can also find all the relevant links in the show notes for this episode over there as well. Well, that's it for this episode of the Manaverse Podcast. I'm Tom Traplin, and I've been your host. I'll talk to you next time.